You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 539 of this podcast. Today is Sunday, January 15th, 2023, and in this episode, we are going to be talking about guns and attempts to keep us from being able to own them or use them or attempts to stigmatize people who would want to own them or use them potentially for any reason whatsoever without express permission. Also, we will be talking about crime, which is, I think, the other half of uh, that discussion of guns is the topic of crime and what to do about crime. And then also, too, uh, before we get into all of the above, I want to give a little bit of an update to the Twitter files as they're known. And we won't spend a great deal of time on that, but I do have a point or two to make in relation to this general problem of firearms ownership and being law-abiding or not a criminal and also hopefully not uh, the victim of violent criminals. But before we get into any of that, I've got a video from theblaze.com. I'm going to play the audio for you from. This is a Democrat U.S. rep speaking on this legislation that recently was passed by the House requiring infants who have survived an abortion to be given medical aid. She describes herself as a pro-choice Christian. Her name is Hillary Scholten. Here's what she has to say, bringing a Bible verse to bear on why she's voting against the proposed legislation. Take a listen. Uh, one minute to the distinguished gentlelady from Michigan, Rep. Scolton, Representative Scolton. The gentlelady is recognized. Madam Speaker, I rise today in support of parental and maternal rights and in opposition to H.R. 26. I'm the first mother in history to represent West Michigan in Congress. This matter is deeply personal to me. I recently shared publicly about my own experience navigating a complex miscarriage and the loss of my daughter. As a pro-choice Christian who chose life, this issue is so personal to me. My faith informs my actions, but it doesn't dictate the policy of an entire nation. And further, when I read the scripture, I turn to passages, and I'm guided by passages like Jeremiah 1, verses 5, which states, I knew you before I formed you, and I placed you in your mother's womb. It doesn't say the government's womb or the speaker's womb. It says the mother's womb. I believe life is precious, but I reject the idea that if I embrace the sanctity of life, I also must be forced to invite the federal government in to regulate it. We must protect families from unnecessary government intrusion into the most sacred and personal decisions of our the lives and our children's expired. lives. Thank the you. The is recognized. Thank you. Okay, so now where to begin? Where does one start in <laughs> speaking to what 
Shulton just shared. First of all, pro-choice Christian with regards to murder is oxymoronic. Pro-choice Christian with regards to murder, yeah, these are phrases and words that should never go together. And when they're combined with you being a legislator, they are oxymoronic. They are nonsensical. So essentially, if I could break this down, let me rephrase, paraphrase what it is that she is identifying herself as to start with. Pro-choice, and not just choice in a general sense. This isn't liberty in any respect that the founding fathers of the United States of America would recognize. We're not talking liberty in a virtuous sense. What we're talking about is a moral vacuum with regards to life. The choice that's being made is not a good choice. If you choose to murder your own child or ask someone else to do it, you are not making a good choice. It is a choice. Every choice to be lawless or corrupt or wicked is a choice. But to say that we are pro-choice as representatives, not just of you know constituents in Michigan, but as representatives of the Christian faith, more to the point, since she said, I'm a pro-choice Christian, that's how she identified herself. If you are representing Christ, you either A, haven't been taught what the Bible actually says, or how to study it, how to read it, how to apply it, how to make sense of it, or you're not telling the truth that you are a Christian. What you mean is more of a cultural Christianity, a progressive Christianity, it's a false Christianity, it's as illegitimate as saying you are a Gnostic Christian. Gnostics are not Christians. Neo-Gnostics are not Christians. This is neo-Gnosticism. The idea that what is physical and what is material is somehow separate and distinct from what is spiritual. And so you're going to prefer the spiritual here in your interpretation of Jeremiah 1.5 to say, hands off. You can't tell me what to do with my children. And this, is, this won't be a consistent line of reasoning when it comes to education for the Democrat Party. It won't be a consistent line of reasoning when it comes to our schools adopting new policies with regards to preferred pronouns or which bathrooms or locker rooms students will use based on their gender identity as opposed to their biological sex, what anatomy they have, what genetics they have. The Democrat Party, to which Shulton belongs, to which she, I would say, belongs more fully and more truly and more primarily than she does anything resembling historic Christian faith, that Democrat Party has a very narrow view of when parents have the right to choose, as opposed to the government telling them this is how it's going to be. Specifically, the Democrat Party believes that you as a parent should have the choice to murder your own child, your unborn child, and that's it. Every other decision that you would make as a parent from then on out, they hold that you should have to defer 
to the experts regarding. You have to get permission from the experts regarding. And even there, when it comes to getting permission, making an appeal, if you object to what they're teaching your child, what books they're requiring your child to read, who they are asking your child to change clothes in front of or shower with or use the restrooms with, if you object, they will just turn off your microphone because this is not a consistent line of reasoning, even if you take her argument that the government should not be telling parents what to do with their children. She places special emphasis in Jeremiah 1.5 on the mother's womb. It's the mother's womb. It's not the state's womb. It's not the speaker's womb. It's not the government's womb. It's the mother's womb. Why not place special emphasis on who is doing the placing and who is doing the knowing and who is doing the forming? Why not place special emphasis there and connect Jeremiah 1.5 with thou shalt not murder? Thou shalt not murder means that God gets first dibs on having authority and he's already made clear, like in Leviticus 20, which we read yesterday on this podcast. God expressly forbids offering up our children as sacrifices to Moloch. If you listen to Liv Bori, former world-class championship poker player, game theory expert, Moloch is not just some ancient Canaanite deity, which the children of Israel had to contend with followers of. Moloch is this whole approach to unhealthy competition, pursuing goals in an irrational, self-destructive way. And we call, or they are calling, Moloch, this mindset of unhealthy competition, sacrificing your long-term interests in favor of short-term wins because the adherence to the cult of Moloch in Canaan literally offered up their children as human sacrifices to Moloch in exchange for even just the hope of Moloch blessing their fortunes moving forward. You could, in our day, say adherence to Moloch would offer up their children as human sacrifices in return for a more successful academic outcome, being able to finish high school and college and maybe go on to post-grad work or in return for having a successful career, getting a big fancy title, perhaps even getting elected to the House of Representatives. Moloch, I will give you my child if you get me to the House of Representatives. If you help me to make enough money to buy this big house in the nicest neighborhood in town and drive new cars every year and have a robust 401k and IRA, and pension plan. But Shulton doesn't want to impose her Christian morality on the United States of America, except, oddly enough, when she references Jeremiah 1.5. So which is it? Which is it? Are we imposing our Christian faith on the United States of America by citing the biblical text as authoritative, as informative, or not. Because to cite Jeremiah 1.5, and then I would suppose shut down the discussion if someone 
responds or answers, which would have been glorious to see on the House floor. My colleague brought up Jeremiah 1.5. I would like to exegete Jeremiah 1.5. I knew you before I formed you, and I placed you in your mother's womb. If the lesson you take from that is that it doesn't say the government's womb or the speaker's womb, well then, how far do we go with this? If God sees us in our homes, does that mean that anything we might do to our children in our homes is therefore not the government's business, even if we abuse them, neglect them, murder them in our homes? Because, well, it's not the government's house, it's my house. Well, how about the state's? Not that there are any Bible verses pertaining to the states that make up the United States of America, but if a governor decides to violate the rights of the citizens of a state, do the citizens of that state not get to make an appeal to the federal government for a redress of grievances, asking them to launch an investigation, appealing perhaps, let's say, to the Supreme Court if an unconstitutional policy or order of the executive type is handed down in their state because, well, this is the state. It's not the federal government's business, what happens in the states. Yeah, but see, that doesn't make any sense either because you're in the U.S. House of Representatives there as a representative of your state, which also has a legislature. Michigan also has a legislature. And so we recognize that there are various spheres of authority and levels of authority. There's a hierarchical quality to authority. And when the higher authority says, thou shalt not murder, for instance, the lower authority, be it a mother, be it a government comprised of men, does not supersede the higher authority. So the higher authority saying, thou shalt not murder, is what holds prime of place. This is not just between the mother and God, because God says in Jeremiah 1.5, I knew you before I formed you, and I placed you in your mother's womb. You might as well say it's only God's business. But in that case, if it's only God's business to do justice, then why did you run for the House of Representatives? Why did you run for Congress? Don't you know that Congress's job is to pass laws? Have you not read Romans 13, where it says that the governing authority is a minister of God, a minister of God, to reward those who do good and to punish those who do evil? You want to talk about choice in the abstract. We need to talk about good choices and evil choices and the government's job in rewarding good choices and punishing evil choices. It's an evil choice. It's not just a choice in the abstract. It's an evil choice for a mother to murder her child or to ask someone else to do it. That's an evil choice. And it is the government's business to stop murderers. If that's not the government's business, then nothing is. Full stop. Moving on. New Twitter files released show how Adam Schiff's staffers harassed the company with absurd ban requests. Here's a update from the Daily Wire. And I quote, independent journalist Matt Taibbi released a supplemental edition of the Twitter files on Friday, which detailed the many requests made by the office of Representative Adam Schiff, congressman from California, 
to ban posts that criticized Joe Biden and purportedly advanced conspiracy theories. Previous editions of the project revealed by independent reporters based on emails and other internal company documents provided by Twitter CEO Elon Musk have shown that federal law enforcement agencies policed content on the platform and asked executives to remove certain posts. The latest release shows that staffers working for Schiff, the former chair of the House Intelligence Committee, wrote to Twitter quite often asking for posts to be removed. One such request centered upon an edited GIF, GIF, of Biden, who was running for the Oval Office at the time after former President Donald Trump retweeted the image. A staffer had claimed that the post, which showed Biden sticking out his tongue and making faces, violated manipulated media policies in an email to former Twitter safety chief Joel Roth, who responded by saying that the image was pretty clearly edited with humorous intent. Roth added that, quote, any reasonable observer, end quote, could see through the edited post and said that the image did not represent a rules violation. Another shift staffer nevertheless insisted on Twitter removing the post, claiming that the edited GIF constituted a, quote, slippery slope concern, end quote. Twitter executives remained firm that they would not take the image down. And I bring this up. Why it's both annoying and relevant is the apparent consistency of being extraordinarily strict when it is to the Democrats' advantage, being extraordinarily, even to the point of condoning murder and sanctioning murder, extraordinarily lenient when it is to the Democrats' advantage. This is not doing justice and loving mercy. This is hypocrisy. This is pretending to be more virtuous than they actually are. This is play acting. Speaking of pretending, play acting, dishonesty, hypocrisy, I'm going to play another little clip here. This one, some reaction to a campaign ad for the mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot. This ad talking about crime in Chicago and what Lori Lightfoot is doing about it. Also, a reaction from a former NFL football player. Here is a little audio for all of the above. Take a listen. I want to go to Jack Brewer on this. This is a, a near and dear cause to Jack Horst, the former NFL great, Jack Brewer Foundation CEO. Jack, I was thinking of you because in Chicago, uh, the mayor there has an ad touting the fact that it is under control. I want you to respond to this. Uh, it it, One second. it really this is, is mind-blowing. But on crime, Mayor Lightfoot's got a plan. She's putting more police on the streets and getting more guns off them. When it comes to new strategies, new technology, Lightfoot's invested more than any mayor. Those are facts. Anyone that says there are simple solutions is lying. All right. I'm sorry for confusing you there, Jack. I apologize. But, but what, what, you know, the gist of this ad is there is no problem. She's actually making great headway. Crime's coming down. Um, what do you make of it? Uh, it's manipulation. And I think that's the issue that we face right now in, in cities like Chicago uh, and all over the country is that uh, many of our leaders have the audacity not to address these issues. And you hear the stories of these poor people, whether they're store owners uh, or, or just folks uh, trying to live their lives, sending their kids to school every day. You know, I was just in, in I've been in two prisons this week and I was uh, actually in a juvenile facility yesterday. Uh, and to see the spike in juvenile crime in 
and gun violence. Uh, it really is depressing. I, I must I must admit, I, I was blown away by the number uh, of violent crimes happening by kids at such a young age. Uh, and sh Chicago is the epicenter of this disaster. And so for Lori Lightfoot to get on TV uh, and to run an ad like this that manipulates so many people, uh, it's just heartening. It's sickening. And, you know, manipulation is, is, a, is, is witchcraft. I mean, this is something that's demonic spiritually for you not to uh, really have the love in your heart uh, for the people uh, who live in that great city. Uh, enough is enough. Enough is enough. That is Jack Brewer, head of the Jack Brewer Foundation, founded in 2006, which, according to their website, helps populations around the world combat extreme poverty and human rights challenges with a deep commitment to, quote, empowering from within, end quote, JBF Worldwide encourages its global ambassadors to reach beyond their own communities in order to bring resources to the most underserved. So that's Jack Brewer. Some helpful stats that Fox Business put up on the screen, which I'll just relay to you here briefly. Chicago crime year to date is up 53% with regards to robbery, 52% with regards to aggravated battery, 29% with regards to burglary, 72% with regards to crime generally. Now, year to date, uh, we're just into the third week. This is the very beginning of the third week of January. So it's still early, but nevertheless, crime is going up and Chicago definitely has a crime problem. Now, one of the ways that Democrats lie is to talk about investment. I heard this when newly recently uh, reelected California governor Gavin Newsom was debating his Republican opponent in the run up to the November elections. He talked a lot about how much money California's state government has spent on various programs. So his Republican challenger, I didn't think did a very good job of articulating his positions or his criticisms of Newsom. He seemed as though he was set up to fail or not believing that he could win and so didn't bring his A game, unfortunately. But Gavin Newsom kept hitting him again and again about how much money California's state government had spent on these various problems, addressing these various problems, not just crime, but also poverty and homelessness and drugs, et cetera, et cetera. This is one of the ways that Democrats lie is by telling the voting public how much money they're spending as though that is in itself a accomplishment. Why this is a lie, okay, why this is an important lie to watch for is, and I'll give you an analogy, in my line of work, doing automation. Let's say a customer, a client, a company that I'm working for says, we want you to solve this problem and automate this process. So please come in and tell us what we need to buy and hook it up for us and program it and configure it so that it does X, Y, and Z because we're having issues, safety issues or process issues, we're losing money, we're, we're hurting people, what have you. We want to automate this to protect our investment, to protect our people. And let's suppose we look at the stats before I come in, and then a year, two years, several years into my working on their systems, 
they say, hey, uh, the stats have gotten worse. And actually, there are some real problems with the way that you selected the devices to install. The cost of the devices was very high, but the devices are not working properly because they're not configured properly. And the controls scheme is not functional. It's not reliably shutting down or rerouting, diverting, uh, you know, alarming the way that it's supposed to. It's not working and we're hurting more people than we were before you started. We're losing more money than we were before you started. What in the world? If I tell them, listen, 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 you don't need to worry about that. Look at how much money you've paid me. <laughs> Look at how much of your money I've spent. <laughs> See, I'm I'm doing more than any other controls programmer or automation professional you've ever had working for you. I've spent more of your money than all of them before me, even combined perhaps. So let me spend more of your money. Do you know what will happen? Do, do you know what the outcome of that will be? <laughs> I will get fired. I, I will get fired because the idea is not to spend money. The idea is to fix the problem. And actually, the way this works when you have a competitive environment is if I'm acting that way, they're looking for somebody to replace me. And if somebody will do the job better for less money, the better they do the job and the less money they spend to do the job better, the more likely I'm going to get replaced and deserve to get replaced. So to brag about how much of the city's money or the state's money or the nation's money a politician or elected official has spent, even as the stats are going up and up and up, as though, you know, hey, that, that's a fact. That's a fact. Nobody's done more. Yeah, you've done more and had worse results. And so it's not actually about how much money you're spending. This is true of education. This is true with regards to housing. This is true with regards to law enforcement. This is true with regards to re regulating industry. The idea is not to spend more of our money. The idea is to fix the problems or if you can't, then leave it alone. Put it down, walk away. Let's find somebody else because maybe this is not a government problem in need of a government solution. Maybe this is a social problem that the government is actually exacerbating in part by saying, we're going to tweak things that we don't know what we're doing with or which we do know what we're doing with, but we're gaining a selfish advantage, whether that's our own pride, our own vanity that is being served, or whether we are being compensated. We're literally being paid uh, under the table behind the scenes to make these problems that uh, are advantageous to somebody else. We'll put it that way. I happen to agree with Jack Brewer. This is manipulative. This is this is stubbornness is as the sin of witchcraft because there's a stubborn refusal to admit what they're doing is not working, but they're going to keep on doing it even harder and more and more pervasively and more angrily. But moving on, speaking of law enforcement, the LAPD has banned thin blue line flags, according to some reporting by Paul Saka over at The Blaze, because, and I quote, it now allegedly symbolizes undemocratic, racist, and bigoted views. The thin blue lion flag, you heard that right, is being banned by the LAPD. 
So they're not even going to support themselves because I, they are undemocratic, racist, and bigoted. Uh, I guess they probably took a, a poll of how the criminals feel about supporting law enforcement. And at this point, why not just abolish yourselves? If if you don't believe in supporting your own law enforcement officers as you're sending them out into harm's way, asking them to do an extraordinarily challenging, if not impossible job increasingly, if you're not going to support them, then just shut the doors and turn off the lights before you leave. Uh, why even have an LAPD, a Los Angeles police department, if you believe that law enforcement is inherently undemocratic, racist, and bigoted? More on how silly and odd and absurd it is that we are seeing what we're seeing about law enforcement more and more be, being invested into law enforcement, even as we're told don't trust law enforcement. More on that in a minute when we talk about the ATF's most recent ruling. But before we get to that, here is some audio, surprisingly uh, engaging, shall we say, from CNN, Chuck Schumer, Senate Majority Leader, being interviewed, questioned, perhaps even interrogated regarding Joe Biden's handling of classified documents and whether the same standard is being applied to Joe Biden as was applied to, is currently still being applied to former President Donald Trump with the raid on Mar-a-Lago. Take a listen. Here's Chuck Schumer on CNN being asked some tough questions. Joining us now to weigh in on all of this and what's happening on Capitol Hill is Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, a Democratic senator, obviously from New York. We're so glad to have you back on set. But we, we have to ask you about what's happening with the attorney general now appointing the special counsel and the fact that the White House is acknowledging, yeah, these classified documents were found. Well, look, Do you believe that he's violated the federal law here? It's much too early to tell. There's a special prosecutor in each situation. I think President Biden has handled this correctly. He's fully cooperated uh, with the prosecutors. When the documents were found, he notified archives. It's a total contrast to President Trump, um, who stonewalled for a whole year. But the pro point is we now have special prosecutors on for both of these situations, very serious people. We should let it play out. We don't have to push them in any direction or try to influence them. That's all I'm going to say. Let the special prosecutors do their job. Do you support the fact that a special counsel is overseeing this matter now? Yes, yeah. I do. And in fact, you know, uh, I was this when when they first uh, the FBI went to Mar-a-Lago and they said, well, what are you going to say about this? Mm -hmm. I said, it's premature to comment. And I've said it here. So I've been consistent about it in both cases. You have prosecutors, special prosecutors. I support both of them. Mm -hmm. Let them do their job. I think that's all that should be said. The politicians shouldn't be buzzing around. Just to be, sh to, to be sure about what you said, you believe that the Biden folks are being transparent about this? You think that they're being involved? I think the Biden folks, as I said, cooperated with the prosecutorial authorities from day one, and Donald Trump didn't. This is our reporting. According to one justice official, said that the White House public statements earlier this week offered a, an incomplete narrative about the classified documents from Biden's time as vice president, reinforced the need for a special counsel. The misleading statements created the impression that Biden's team had something to hide. That doesn't sound that much different than the there's former now, president. John, there's now a special prosecutor. Let's see what they have to say. We can have all this speculation and comment. 
Let's see what they have to say, and let's focus on doing things that help the American people. But Senator, I have to, I have to get in and have to say this. Uh, you, you seem much more measured about this than with the Trump documents, because you call for transparency with the Trump documents. You wanted lawmakers to have access to the documents seized from the former president, uh, his residence in Florida, which it seems like you... The bottom line is, I said that night, it's premature to comment on what should be done. For and president I stick Trump, by that. Yes, for President Trump. That's exactly so right. you think that That's your statements are consistent for I both? I sure do. For both. You bet. Okay. So... You said the president has fully cooperated, and there's no indication that he and the White House have not. But there is a real question about transparency and what the American people well, deserve. Let me just let me let me prosecutors will get to the bottom of this, and let's let them do it for I, God's I, sakes. I, I, hear I know you, you all want to buzz I around and all of that, but let the me line let is, me buzz for a minute. Okay, let, 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 let me buzz. Away. Let me buzz for buzz one minute, away. and I promise we'll get on. But it's not just hold on. It's not just us buzzing around. You're the the Democratic head of the Senate. This is a really important so, issue. It's not just buzzing around. It's, this, no, this but is we have. Spe- and if there were no special prosecutor, there would be. You know, you might have a different thing to say, but there is. And now we have the law enforcement people who have the power to get all the facts out, doing it. I support both. I think we should have a special prosecutor on each. I don't mind your asking these questions, but my view is I'm not going to say anything. Let the special prosecutors do their job. The question I was going to ask is about the fact that when when this did come out, after CBS's news is reporting and the White House came out and acknowledged it, um, they only addressed the documents found on November 2nd. But they knew at the time about the documents found on December 20th. And that's what begs the question of full transparency. And it's not just us. The Washington Post editorial board, you know, this morning says the same thing, that if the president and this White House answered more questions directly, like that exact timeline, uh, that would, quote, promote trust and preempt this criticism. Would you like to see the White House do that today? And you get the idea. Uh, Another quick snapshot here that I want to read some items from for you, similar to the Fox Business snapshot, because this is audio that I'm sharing with you, and you can't see what I can see on the screen here with a clip from CNN. Biden document case timeline. (laughs) November 2nd, 2022. Biden attorneys discover docs at Penn Biden Center inform National Archives. November 3rd, 2022, National Archives takes docs. November 4th, 2022, National Archives informs DOJ. November 9th, 2022, FBI launches assessment. So here we have basically right around the time of the midterm elections, it being known that Biden had done the exact same thing that Trump was accused of doing. And I'll say it again, either A, the Democrats who made a huge storm about this and played it up in a timely manner for optics are not actually all that concerned. And they were just looking for an excuse to go after former president Trump. Uh, they, they, they basically just exploited whatever they could reach for similar to Adam Schiff's staffers contacting Twitter and asking for certain things to be taken down when They might harm the image of the Democratic Party or Joe Biden particularly. Either they were feigning outrage with regards to Trump so that they could target him with the power of the FBI and the Department of Justice in full view of the public to humiliate not just him, but any candidates he was uh, supporting, recommending, backing, 
or it is just as bad that Biden had these top secret documents, classified documents, and they didn't want to make it known to the public right around the time of the midterm elections. Either it's a big deal, just as big a deal. It should have been just as big of a scandal in both cases, right at the time of the midterm elections, or it shouldn't have been a big deal in either case. And Schumer can be super measured. I'm actually very surprised that CNN is asking him these questions. And he can say, oh, I don't mind you asking these questions. He does. He's got an agitated look on his face. His body language is conveying that he is agitated. He even snorts at one point and sniffs and he keeps interrupting and talking over them. Oh, let the prosecutors get to the bottom of it. Wait, 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 wait. You are here on CNN to answer questions and just let the government investigate itself is not what you were that's not what you were asked to come here and answer or speak to and that's not what you would say and did say that is not all the democrats would say and did say with regards to their political opponents and that's the point that there is a double standard there is an unequal weight and measure when it comes to the administration of justice what information is reported what is said how things are characterized what is done there's a problem of unequal weights and measures. And that, that at its root is why this is very, very important. God says he detests unequal weights and measures. He detests it. Think of why the sternest rebukes Jesus gave were to the Pharisees, to the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law. Why were his strongest rebukes against them? Because not just they were hypocrites, but the problem with hypocrisy is that it is unequal weights and measures. Rules for thee, but not for me. That's why it matters. That's why it's terribly important that we not just roll our eyes and say, oh, that's just politics. No, no, that's unacceptable. There has to be an even equal application of the law and it has to match in a timely manner. You can't delay justice. I mean, how would it be? Let's let's put it in these terms. How would it be if some robbers came in to rob a bank? And in the one case, the law enforcement response was quick, timely to apprehend the robbers and to haul them off to jail, to return the money to the bank, and justice was served. But then in another case, the call comes in, and everything is done very quietly, very slowly. Only after they've already gotten away do the police show up. Almost as if they're trying to show up after the robbers have gotten away with the money. In that case, you start to ask questions of the response. For instance, do you have some kind of an incentive? Is there some kind of a benefit to you? Are you on the take? Are these friends of yours? Are you being paid to be slow to respond in the one case of the robbery versus the other case of the robbery, or in the other scenario, let's suppose that two people come in to cash a check. And in the one case, law enforcement is called because, oh, you can't cash a check here. Now, there's something irregular about your check. We think this is a fraudulent check. It might be. It might be. We don't know, but we think it is. We're going to call the cops. And they show up and they alert the press and the press shows up with TV cameras 
and humiliates this person. And it turns out to be a legitimate check. It's not a phony check. Actually, it's a good check. And then in another another case, the exact same kinds of red flags or irregularities show up in someone else that the law enforcement likes trying to deposit a check. And you only find out about it quietly after they've gone home and they've been spending the money that was deposited in their checking account for months. It is entirely reasonable to ask questions of all parties involved when there is an unequal, uneven application of scrutiny, outrage, investigation. Prosecution can be its own form of punishment because you're going to put this person through the ringer. It can be a form of, I think, libel and slander just even to trot them out constantly on issue after issue after issue as if everything is a scandal. That can be in and of itself a hostile, malicious thing, just like bearing false witness against your neighbor. That's one of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Why? Because destroying their reputation, you also destroy their ability to have meaningful relationships, to get support, to make transactions, to do their business, to live. Whether they get punished by being found guilty, always bringing charges, at a certain point, it's the boy who cried wolf. And if you're not bringing those exact same levels of intensity and energy and quickness to your friends as you do to your apparent enemies, well then, I hope that this is a genuine show of good journalistic effort on the part of CNN. I hope that it is, and I hope that it's, I hope that it keeps up. I know there's new management in some of these big corporate media outlets. Hopefully, they're going to do their job in looking into these things so that it's not just special prosecutors. You know, there's a a real strong possibility that the special prosecutor is named in both cases to get the desired outcome. And for the same reason that nominees are appointed to courts at all levels to be judges, even on the Supreme Court, we are appointing judges and all sides know we're appointing judges because a certain outcome is desired. This is why it was a big deal that Hillary Clinton not win back in 2016, because she would have appointed judges who rubber stamped leftist Democrat initiatives and stonewalled conservative and Republican agenda items, concerns about protecting our constitutional rights, like, for instance, the Second Amendment, which we'll get to here in just a minute. But so also what the left was terrified of and what they're so angry with Trump about is that he appointed justices who overturned Roe versus Wade. And he promised to. He promised to. He didn't make it a secret. I'm going to appoint judges who will overturn Roe v. Wade. And then he did. And they did. And now Roe v. Wade has to be codified at the state level in order to still be a legally protected option for mothers that don't want to give birth to a live baby and raise that child. So this is disingenuous. I mean, to to say, well, special prosecutors have been appointed in both cases 
And so let's just let them do their jobs. Yeah, but in both cases, special prosecutors have been appointed by someone who ultimately goes back to Joe Biden himself. And maybe, just maybe, both situations will be decided, uh, determined through an equal application of the pertinent laws and the circumstances and the evidence. But given the conflict of interest inherent to the appointing of the special prosecutors relative the chief executive currently serving and formerly serving who announced that he was going to run and then they announced that they were going to appoint a special prosecutor, given the political circumstances, the the media cannot be quiet and just nod their heads to what Chuck Schumer is saying. And Chuck Schumer, he, he's agitated not for no reason, because this is a really, really bad place to be. This is a really bad place to be. But moving on, let's talk on a lighter note about a little meme I saw. DC Drano posted to Instagram. This one just amused me a little bit. It's dark humor, but they have a still from a commercial that aired back in 1987. I was all of one years old, but it is a frying pan with an egg in it over a, it looks like a gas stove, which oof, uh, that's problematic, but this egg is cooked and The caption reads, 1987, this is your brain on drugs. 2023, you can't afford the egg. The gas stove is being outlawed. The only thing you can get is the drugs. Uh, Ouch. That's that's dark. That's dark. (laughs) Oh, shoot. Uh, Also, here's a little gem from Sarcastic Liberty. Sometimes the internet redeems itself, and it's a screenshot of a tweet from Shibitoshi Nakamoto, who writes, I read that eggs are overly expensive because bird flu is killing a ton of chickens. There's an obvious solution to this, and there's a picture of a chicken wearing a mask. So there you go. There's an idea for everybody. Let's put little masks, uh, little uh, whatever they were called. I mean, you could probably just put a sock, right? Just put a sock, a tiny little uh, baby socks over the chicken's beaks, and uh, then they wouldn't get avian flu. And then we could have chicken eggs again. Um, that would be an idea. Maybe the CDC will tell us to do that next. Who knows? Getting to the meat and potatoes of this episode, let's talk about the ATF. Annie Oakley over at Not The Bee posted yesterday, and this is something I've been researching, digging into, watching videos on, reading up on through the weekend. Uh, the ATF has a new rule. And as Annie Oakley asks, do you own an AR-style pistol? Then you need to read the ATF's new rule that will make you guilty of a federal offense if you don't register it as an SBR or turn it into the authorities. As she writes... Biden's Justice Department announced a new rule yesterday, this would be Friday, stating that if a firearm with a barrel shorter than 16 inches is fitted with a brace, i.e. an AR or AK type pistol, it will soon be considered a short-barreled rifle under the National Firearms Act of 1934. This means that in order to legally possess the firearm in this configuration, it must be registered with the ATF and the owner must pay a tax stamp, just like an SBF. 
which sucks big time. If you currently own an AR-style pistol with a barrel shorter than 16 inches, here are the options the feds are giving you. Quote, any weapons with stabilizing braces or similar attachments that constitute rifles under the NFA must be registered no later than 120 days after date of publication in the federal registrar or the short barrel removed and a 16-inch or longer rifle barrel attached to the firearm or permanently remove and dispose of or alter the stabilizing brace such that it cannot be reattached or the firearm is turned into your local ATF office or the firearm is destroyed. So basically, if you don't, and there are 40 million of these, you heard that right, 40 million of these in circulation in the United States, uh, all of them will be illegal if you don't do what the ATF has just unilaterally, without going to Congress, without it being debated, without it being voted on, uh, they've just decided after decades, bear in mind, after decades of these things being sold and the ATF saying, that's fine, that's a legal uh, option that you have, they have unilaterally said, no more, no mas, because it's a short barrel rifle, because we said so. So you can destroy your firearm, and they'll give you instructions on how to do that. You can turn it into your local ATF office, which the videos I was watching from experts who follow this stuff very, very closely, those videos are saying, don't do that. Don't don't turn it into the ATF. Whatever you are going to do, don't do that. Because now you've just incriminated yourself. You have the constitutional right to not incriminate yourself. If they're saying this is a crime, then don't do that. Also, too, it's illegal, right? It's just flat illegal for them to create a register requirement for common use firearms. This is literally against the law. Congress has ruled on this. It is against the law for the ATF or any government agency to create a, a, a registry, to create a database of who owns what firearms. That's against the law. Literally, Congress has voted on that and debated that and passed that, that they can't do it, but they're trying to do it here. Because who's going to want to destroy their firearm? Who's going to want to turn it into the ATF? Who's going to be <laughs> excited about, in a, in a good way, being declared a felon overnight? So then you register. And, and keep in mind here, too, this is, this is the opposite of nudge. So you may remember, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, I talk about nudge theory and this whole idea of governments of the world, our bureaucracies here in the United States specifically, looking for ways to nudge us in the direction of making the choices that we ought to make, that we don't know, we haven't rationally concluded like they would, like they do for us, what is best for us. They know what's best for us. So they're going to nudge us in the direction of doing what's best for us. And it's, it might be a little hard to see here because they're giving us lots of options. And also they are mandating that we choose one of those options or else we'll be a felon. But what they're creating is sludge by virtue of the only options that allow you to keep the firearm as it currently is. They're creating sludge, even if you're okay with being in a database, which you shouldn't be. And that is a very, very dangerous prospect that there would be a database which says your name and address and all the firearms that you own 
But even if you want to go that route, you have 120 days to file all of the necessary paperwork and submit fingerprints and use the website that is set up for this or will be set up for this. And what if your paperwork is not filled out correctly? Even people who are licensed firearms dealers who do this for a living say the paperwork involved here is complicated. The process is lengthy. I happen to know that my own brother who owns firearms, I own firearms, by the way. Uh, I'm not going to tell you how many. I'm not going to tell you precisely what, but I own several. I'll put it that way. My own brother also served in the United States Marine Corps, has firearms, and he wanted to get uh, some suppressors or a suppressor. They're expensive, but he wanted to get a suppressor for his firearms. And so you have to, by the letter of the law, you have to, even just to get a suppressor, some people call them silencers, that's a misnomer, but a a noise suppressor, uh, you have to file all this paperwork with the ATF, submit for a extensive background check, fingerprints, and, you know, pledge your firstborn and all that kind of stuff. So been all this money and paperwork and time, it took, I think he said either six months or nine months to get a response. And that's before this rule now tells 40 million Americans potentially that they all have to hit this website at the same time. Now, what's, what, What is the result? What happens when somebody yells fire in a crowded theater? You create a panic and everybody rushes for the door and the door is only so big and people get trampled. And that's why the classic argument against just saying whatever you want to say without any consequences whatsoever, you know, unlimited free speech, the classic argument is always, well, you can't shout fire in a crowded theater. It's not, that's against the law. You are culpable if You cause a stampede and people are crushed to death in that stampede. The exact same principle applies here where you're going to now tell 40 million Americans to flood the ATF with requests for permission to keep on retaining firearms that they legally purchased in the first place or else they'll be declared felons or or what, right? Crime is already spiking through the roof coast to coast. And now you're going to declare felons. Are you going to arrest 40 million Americans? Like, how's that going to work? There's nowhere to put them. Also, too, you're already, law enforcement in major cities across the U.S. are already hard-pressed to enforce the laws that are already on the books. The things that are already determined to be legal and illegal. Thou shalt, thou shalt nots from city, state, and national government. You're going to overnight declare that 40 million Americans, 40 million out of, let's say, 350 million, might get a knock on the door from the ATF rolling up in an MRAP with fully auto, not semi-auto. They're not going to show up with semi-auto firearms to take yours or take you off to prison. They're going to show up with fully automatic weapons. And they won't ask nicely. They will take you or, as the case may be, they will spark a civil war. I mean, it's, that's the level of crazy that this is. This is this is absolutely bonkers. It's unenforceable, or if you're going to try to enforce it, 
you're going to have potentially a whole lot of shooting going on when some people are not willing to surrender their lawfully acquired, lawfully owned, protected under the Second Amendment to the United States Constitution firearms. And so for anybody who doesn't want that among the citizenry, the law-abiding citizenry, you've created sludge. It's the opposite of nudge. You've created sludge. And by giving, what, six options for what you could do to stay on the right side of the law here, you give the illusion of choice, but it's really, it's really not a choice. You know, it's, it's like the classic uh, action flick, tough guy line. You know, we can do this the easy way or we can do this the real easy way. Basically, I've got a gun to your head and you're going to do what I want you to do or else I'm going to make you do what I want you to do. So, but you've got, you've got options. You've got the choice. You're free. You're free. I'll just destroy you if you don't make the choice that I want you to make. But you're free. You're free to do whatever you want. That's the level of crazy that this is. And I'll tell you right now, I own one. And I don't know. I don't know what to do for sure. Because on the one hand, this is unconstitutional. It's illegal what the ATF is doing. It's totally arbitrary. This is tyrannical. Uh, On the one hand, this being complied with, this is like pouring gasoline on a fire when it comes to government overreach and the totalitarian nature of our government. And so I don't want to do that. Uh, also, I don't have time. I don't. I just don't have the time, nor the interest. There are other places that need my time and attention. As a father of eight, who works full time in a highly technical occupation, a very intensive mentally uh, occupation, who podcasts, who writes. I'm writing a book about marriage, and this is why we got married. I'm volunteering in my church. I'm supposed to be helping with security, actually, this morning. I help with youth group. I help with music on occasion. We host a biblical training group. I don't have time to fill out a whole bunch of paperwork or figure out where the ATF office is so I know where I'm not going to be turning in my firearms. (laughs) Uh, I don't accept that we're all just going to give that power to the ATF that it does not lawfully have, this is an overreach, not debated on, not deliberated on, not voted on, not passed by Congress, not constitutional. This should go all the way to the United States Supreme Court if it has to, just period. If an example is going to be made, then I suppose I will be a felon. But that's just bonkers. That's bonkers. I mean, think of these things in connection to each other. This is the whole reason why I podcast about everything is because we've got to make these connections explicitly clear for people who don't necessarily put the dots together. We have the mayor of Chicago, murder capital of the U.S., bragging about how much money she has spent on law enforcement initiatives, even as crime is going through the roof in her city. We have the LAPD banning thin blue line flags because they're undemocratic, racist, bigoted law enforcement is. We have unequal weights and measures being applied to a former president of the United States who's running for president again in 2024 and a current sitting president of the United States of America with regards to the handling of classified documents. We have government agencies 
and bureaucracies and departments trying to push for gas stoves to be illegal and for internal combustion engine vehicles to be illegal and for lawfully acquired and owned firearms to be regarded as felonious. We have staffers for congressmen contacting social media companies and asking for content to be removed if it would make their party look bad or just look silly. We have arguments being made that what a mother does with her infant is none of the government's business, but what the public schools do with your children and their sexuality and their gender identity and their peers and bathrooms and locker rooms, that's none of your business. It's none of the government's business what you would do to your unborn child, but it's none, it's none of your business as a parent what the government would do with your child's sexuality and gender identity. And in the midst of all of this moral chaos and confusion and irregularity, the ATF wants me to file a whole bunch of paperwork, let them put me on a list, or they want me to destroy my valuable firearm, which I acquired for a reason, not so that I could destroy it. I didn't buy it so I could destroy it. Or they want me to turn it into them, or they want me to remove the barrel, in which case it's it's like, okay, I'm going to remove the barrel and replace the barrel with a 16-inch or longer rifle barrel. Uh, that's absurd. That's ridiculous. I mean, this is this is this is crazy. That they're already not able to make sense of right and wrong with regards to the things that are already illegal, but they want to overnight threaten forty million Americans and by extension their families, their households, with no knock raids and SWAT teams and military operations on American soil. Think about that. They can't keep up with violent crime, but they would really like to tell you and I that we can't keep firearms that are effective. That's immoral. That's wicked. That's unconscionable. That's indefensible. I won't be a party to it. Unacceptable. There has to be a willingness to say no. There has to be accountability in the form of pushback, Noncompliance. It was critically important with regards to vaccine mandates, for instance, that enough people said no. The fewer people there are saying no, the easier it is to pick off and make examples of the noncompliant. And when the order given is a good one, is a just one, then by all means, comply, submit. But when it's a bad one, when it's an overreach, when it's wicked and partial and itself illegal, the answer needs to be no. And it needs to be long and loud and clear from a chorus of the governed. Read Democracy in America by Alexis de Tocqueville. The checks and balances are not supposed to be limited to the three branches of government, legislative, executive, judicial, or state versus federal versus county versus city or municipal. The checks and balances are also supposed to be between the people, we the people, and 
our elected representatives, and especially all the more unelected bureaucrats. If we lose that ability to provide checks and balances from we the people to our elected representatives or our unelected bureaucrats, then we are absolutely and truly, well and truly lost as a country. And we have to regard this as being of that severity. The vaccine mandates were, and now we've got people dying, stroking out, being hospitalized, left and right, dying suddenly, not so mysteriously. It would seem that the COVID vaccine is literally killing a lot of people. And the same folks who are telling us that if you have one of these stabilizing braces, you're going to be a felon in the next four months, unless you do one of the things that they're telling you to do, are the same kinds of folks, exact same kinds of people who were saying you will get this vaccine or you won't be allowed to travel or work or associate freely with other people or go to school or do anything. They needed to be told no, and they still need to be told no. But that's all the time I've got for this episode. Stay tuned for more. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. <laughs>